Now, good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to worship with you this morning. Grab your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. We're going to continue this series that we've begun several weeks ago. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be around verse 18, 19, 20 in that area. So we continue talking in this chapter about the whole idea of transformation. Now, one of the great truths that we just sang about, one of the great truths that we hold on to as believers is that change is possible. Meaning, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, Jesus Christ by faith has come to live inside of you. Bible, Bible talks about we're in Christ and Christ is in us, which means there are some things that are true about you. There are some things that are reality about you. The moment you place faith in Christ, you are forgiven in Christ. You have been set apart in Christ. You are empowered by Christ. You've been adopted by Christ. You've been justified, made right by Christ. There are some things that are true. Now watch. There are also some things that are becoming true about you. You're becoming more and more like Christ, your attitudes are becoming more like His. Your capacity to love is becoming more like His. Your perspectives, your actions, your attitudes, all of those are being molded by the Spirit of God to become more and more like Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, we said that that's really encouraging for us because we know if we're honest with ourselves, we live with gaps in our life. In other words, we know what the Bible says, for example, about the kind of, I'll use me as an example, that the kind of husband I can be in Christ and the kind of husband I want to be in Christ and then the kind of husband I am on Wednesday, for example. Or I know from Scripture the kind of father I want to be and the kind of dad I want to be to my kids and I want to invest in them and lead them well and them to be encouraged and them to flourish as kids and then the kind of dad I really am on Saturdays sometimes. There's, there's gaps there. The kind of pastor I want to be, the kind of leader I want to be, the kind of generous person I want to be and then I get real greedy and hold on to my stuff. So there's this, for example, there's this picture of what the Bible holds out. Here's what we can be practically in Christ, but then here's Monday morning, right? Well, reality is the Spirit of God is working to close those gaps. In other words, to make us more and more naturally like Christ, that our first instinct is not towards greed, but towards generosity. Our first in instinct is not towards pride and self-protection, but it's towards humility and love. That doesn't come natural. That's the work of God in our lives. So you, brothers and sisters, me, we, we are being transformed. It's not fast, it takes time, it's never easy, but God is doing that in our lives. Paul's been laying that out here in chapter 3 of Colossians. Now this morning, Paul's going to kind of take it to the next level, if you will, and here's the idea, it's this, that genuinely transformed people are people that are being transformed by Christ are going to have tremendous influence on the world around us. For example, let me ask you a question this morning, just to get you thinking about where we're going this morning. Do you believe that it's realistic to think that a husband 
who was formerly unkind, self-centered, harsh, disengaged, bitter towards his wife, if that husband meets Jesus and is changed from the inside out, do you believe it will affect the entire home? Absolutely. Do you believe, is it realistic to think, that a teenager or a young person who was formerly rebellious to parents doing their own thing, rejected any authority, had nothing to do with God, meets Christ, Christ changes them and is changing them, do you think that will affect their conduct on the ball field or in the classroom or in the family or the way they relate to mom and dad? Absolutely. Let me get real personal. You ready? Do you believe that an employee who holds down a job and Christ is dwelling within that employee, should be one of the greatest employees anywhere in that business because of Christ in us. That that boss is able to say, I don't know what's going on with Mike, but man, something's different about him. He's on time. His attitude is amazing. He honors me as his boss. He's productive. He gets things done. He gets along with people. He works hard. Those are examples that Paul's going to hold out as examples or demonstrations of transformation within us. Here's the point. If Christ is in you, changing you, it affects every single area of your life. This transformation that's going on within us will spill out into other areas of our lives. Now this morning, Paul's going to get really practical I mean, if you haven't read this on your own and you haven't been reading this, I encourage you to. If you haven't been talking about it in your life groups, you know the section of Scripture we're coming to today. There's, there's something here to offend everybody. <laughs> there's enough here for all of us to get convicted and all of us to get challenged in every single area of our lives. He's going to talk about the transformed home. Does Christ in me make a difference in the way my home operates? It should. He's going to talk about the transformed marketplace. Do, do Christians, because of Christ in us, does it affect the way we our bosses or the way we, we lead companies? Does it affect the way we deal with our employees? Absolutely. So the Apostle Paul is going to get very particular here beginning in verse 18. So go ahead and find your place there. If you, don't, if you don't own a Bible or you need one this morning, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. You can take that. That's our gift to you. You can take it home with you. Uh, otherwise, you can follow along or the words are going to be on the screen. I'm going to read several verses, make a few comments along the way, and then we're going to apply this to different areas of our lives. All right. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. I used to hear sometimes you need to uh, go to church, for example, with your steel-toed shoes on, meaning watch out, your, your toes are going to get stomped on. We're going we're gonna to address husbands. Get ready. We're going to address wives. We're going to deal with what the Bible says about kids, about being an employee, about being an employer. There's something here for everybody. Get your steel-toed shoes on. Ready? Here we go. Verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. No controversy there, right? What does that mean? We're going to talk about this. I will say verse 18 is one of those concepts in the Bible that's probably been as distorted and misunderstood by the world as any. What does it really mean? We're going to talk about that. 
Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children. The word children is a generic word. Really, any child that's in the home under the authority of the parents. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate or leave heartless your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Time out. Let me take a pause. We'll come back to verse 23 in just a second. Paul's addressing the issue that was common in that day of slavery. Slavery was widespread in the Roman Empire, according to some calculations. One-third of every Roman or person in the Roman Empire was a slave. Scripture in no way supports the institution of slavery, but deals with it as a reality of that day. And deals with it, speaking directly to believing slaves and believing masters to impact this hideous institution where one person was considered the owner, the property of another. He deals with this hideous institution by dealing with the believing slaves and the believing masters. And transforming it from the inside out. In so doing, Paul provides us with powerful principles applicable to the marketplace. Bosses. Employees, great application for us this morning. Verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Would that impact the way you go to work on Monday? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. We'll read verse 4-1 in just a few minutes. Now, very practical stuff here this morning as you can see. So, let me make a couple disclaimers before I jump into these verses. Disclaimer number one. Paul does an overview here. We could dig into each one of these topics and do a series. I'm not going to be able to do that. Some of you are going to wish I said a lot more than I'm going to say. You wish Paul would have said a lot more than Paul said. Some of you are going to wish Paul said a lot less than Paul did say. But we this morning are going to try to cover these things in an overview. Secondly, let me encourage you this morning to put your shovels away. You know what that means? A shovel is when I take something and I throw it over onto somebody else. In other words, husbands, you're really going to make sure this morning that your wife is awake for this verse that I'm going to read to wives. Wives, you're going to look over and elbow your husband and say, Honey, could you just pay attention? He's talking to you, don't you? And you're going to be tempted to think, Well, if my husband was, or if my wife, or if my kids would act this way, well, if I had that kind of boss, let me give us all a word of encouragement this morning. Let's tune our ears into what God has to say to us. Ladies, if you want to conduct the amen corner, conduct it when he's talking to you. (laughs) Etc., etc. Guys, 
Let's listen to what God is saying to us. Let's put our shovels away and say, all right, Lord, I'm ready. I want to grow in Christ's likeness that affects every area of my life. Right? Okay, here we go. Now, you might be tempted to think some of those things that Paul says are highly controversial in our culture today, and you'd be right. But you also need to know that the, the culture to which Paul is writing here was worse by a long shot even in the culture we live in today. What do you mean? Well, remember, Paul's writing in a day in a Roman, Greek, Hellenistic culture. Let me give you some examples of what it was like in that day. In a Greek or Roman society of that day, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone. She was never to go out, even to market. She lived in a women's residence and did not join the men even for meals. From her, there was a demand of complete servitude and purity. But her husband, in that day, could do whatever he pleased. He could have as many relationships outside of marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. In this culture, all the privileges belong to the husband and all the duties to the wife. So for Paul to write some of the things he's going to write to the husbands about pure devotion to your wife is radical in that culture. In that day, children were very much under the domination of their parents. The supreme example was something called patria protestus, which meant the absolute authority of the father. Under it, a father could do anything he liked to the child. He could sell the child. He could put him out to forced labor. He even had the legal right to condemn that child to death and could carry out the execution with no penalty of law. So for Paul to come on, scene, on the scene and begin to say things like, parents, here's how you treat your kids. And to say to husbands, here's how you love your wives. You've got to understand, it may sound radical in our day. It was radical when Paul said it. So he's saying to these group of believers there in Colossae, listen, now that Christ is in you, you are going to go out into a world that is very different than what the Bible teaches, and you're going to be salt and light. It's going to affect every area of life. So, Paul begins by talking about the transformed home. Let's begin verse 18. He says this, a word to the wives. Verse 18, Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I'll just repeat something I said earlier. I think the whole idea of wives subjecting themselves or being submissive, is the word Ephesians 5 uses, is one of those realities and concepts that makes us all a little uncomfortable when we hear it. And the reason is, is it is because it has been so distorted and so twisted by culture, we really don't know what it means. So, Paul, what does that mean? What are you saying here? Well, the word subject is a verb, and it means it's the idea of a military rank. It is, acknowledging, it is acknowledging that an order of authority exists in the home. It is God saying that I have designed within the home the way it's to function. There's a structure. There's an order. There's one recognized as the head, as the leader within the home. And it's designed by God that within that 
culture or that structure is the way the home functions best. The word subject means literally to place or rank under. It is ongoing, meaning present tense. It is a command. It is the way God has designed it to work. Now, Paul, what does that mean? Well, let's try to dig down a little bit more. Paul is saying again, within the home, there is a divine design of order. It does not mean an order based on value or worth. Did you hear that? It does not mean, okay, wives, you subject yourself to that husband because he's so much more valuable and so much more meaningful in my eyes. That's not what it means at all. The Bible clearly holds out in the home a view of partnership, of equality in the home, equal value, co-heirs in Christ, but God says there's a functioning within the home of order. He's designed it that way. It does not mean inferiority. It does not mean weakness. It does not mean cowering. And listen, I'll even say this. It does not mean to all men. The Bible does not say, hey, if you're a woman, you submit to all men. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, honor, be subject to your husbands. That within the home, there is a way it's designed to function well. The word be subject also is the idea. Now listen, this is very important. Is also the idea of willingness. Here's what that means for you men. Where we are, Colossians 3.18 is not to be your memory verse that you post on the bathroom wall for your wife. Hey, honey, I don't know if you heard this verse, but I'm memorizing 3.18. Wives, be subject to your husbands, just in case you didn't get it. Hey, guys, if you have to go around telling your wife and reminding your wife to be subject to you, there's a major problem. Major problem. So what do you mean by that? Well, this is from God to the wives to willingly honor God first as the one who designed the home and to willingly trust God by believing, you know what? This home is to function because God's given a measure of headship to my husband. So it's a willing idea, and this is huge. It's also the idea of intimacy. He says, be subject to your own husband, is one translation. To your husband, meaning this is to happen. Oh, this is massive. If you've nodded off, hang with me here. In other words, being subject, and then we're going to talk about loving one another in a minute, only makes sense, only functions properly within the context of a covenant relationship. Meaning, God in no way is saying, woman, be subject to, or man, love as Christ loves the church, merely that friend you have. No. He is saying, within this thing I've designed of a covenant relationship, ladies, you can honor and respect and be subject to and acknowledge the leadership of the man. Watch this. Who has committed his life to you. 
See, the picture of marriage that God gives out is not an arrangement. It's not a contract. I know we live in a culture that marriage is being redefined, but you have to understand, God holds marriage out as a lifelong covenant, meaning I can trust this man because he's devoted his entire life to me. He will stand beside me. He is with me to the end. I know that's not everybody's experience. I know some in here have experienced the pain of divorce, and I grieve with you. But Paul is holding out the model to say within the context of a covenant relationship, not a 50-50, if you, I will, a 100%, I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm giving my life, in a sense, to you. I'm devoting my life to you to the end. And then he says, ladies, it is that relationship that you are coming up under and recognizing I have established an order. And within that order, the family functions well. So there's the idea of willingness and of intimacy and God honoring. Paul says, as is fitting in the Lord, meaning the only way this is possible is in the Lord. The only way this makes sense is to say this is the way God designed it. God designed it this way. God empowers it. It is empowering. Ephesians says, in the Lord. I'll say this. To ladies, and I'm going to be very cautious here. I am married to an extremely godly woman that I love dearly. So I'm going to be careful how I say this. Ready? Submission and being subject in the home to ladies does not come natural. You can say amen if you want, sweetheart. That'd be awesome. Meaning... Listen, just like we're going to talk about to us guys, loving our wives as Christ loves the church does not come natural. Recognizing that God has an order and God really can provide and lead and guide my family as I honor the Lord and as I honor that husband, I'm not cowering to him. It is a partnership. I stand alongside him, but I recognize for functionality he has been given that hat to wear of headship. And ultimately, you are trusting God to lead that way through your home. Now, with every one of these we're going to talk about, I'm going to do our best to try to get it all in in our time, okay? With every one of these where he speaks to husbands, he speaks to wives, he speaks to kids, he speaks to bosses, etc. There's what the Bible says, and then I know what you're saying. Yeah, but... Yeah, but. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Yeah, but. Number one, my husband's not a believer. That situation exists. Maybe you were married as two unbelievers and you as the wife come to know Christ. Your husband's not there yet, whatever the case is. How does this apply there? And let me say, I don't have time to explore all of these. I'm going to give you a few. I'm touching on some very sensitive subjects. I wish I had more time to explore. I'm going to lay some of these out and move on. Number one, not a believer. First Peter 3 says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they're not a believer, they may be won over without words by your behavior of their wives. In other words, how you honor and respect and love them. As unto Second one, yeah, but, this is very sensitive. He demands something from me that is wrong or violates Scripture. 
Am I just supposed to blindly submit? Here's where I believe Acts chapter 3 through 5 comes in, and the Bible would say this. You are to obey God rather than men. The role of headship of the husband never extends to calling you to do something that violates your conscience, to violate Scripture. Thirdly, yeah, but my husband is physically and emotionally threatening to me. What do I do? Huge area of discussion. I'm going to say this. Do not believe the authority of the male extends to where you are to remain in a situation that is threatening to your life in any way. Seek help. You say, well, I can't go to family. I can't go to the police. I don't know what to do. Let me say something. I believe as a local New Testament church, you have absolute right, and I want to encourage you, go to the leaders of your church, go to your elders and say, I need help. If you find yourself in that situation. It's one of the reasons we're here. It's one of the reasons the church exists like this. That the church ought to be able to come alongside a woman who's in this situation and say, enough. Enough. Right? Fifthly. Or fourthly, I lost count. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but. I have control issues. I have control issues. Listen, this is not cowering. This is not you being milquetoast. This is you being a partner, but acknowledging the headship is given to the male. And let me say this. And wives or husbands, you don't have to nod. You don't have to say amen. I'm going to do you a favor, I hope. One of the greatest needs and cravings of your husband, ladies, is that he senses and tangibly knows that he is honored and respected by you. All the promotions at work, all the accolades he may receive elsewhere, cannot compare to the appreciation and acknowledgement by you as his wife that you respect him, that you honor him, you love him, and you believe that he is God's gift to you. Yeah, but! As unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. See that? Now, I have to be careful because I have to give equal time now to the husbands because some of you wives have a stopwatch going, well, you talk to the wives, you bet. Oh, here it is. You ready? Verse 19. These two verses have to go together or they don't make sense. Verse 19, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is going to turn now to the husbands, to us, and say, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Husband, love your wife. The word love here is that word agape, which means a supernatural God-like love, which means God is the example of it, and God is the one that empowers us to demonstrate this kind of love. It does not come natural. If you are reading Colossians 3 and you are saying, I'm going to try harder to do more, and the Spirit of God is not living inside of you, it will merely be a yoke around your neck. You can't do it. It is Christ empowering you by the Spirit. You hear this and you go, yes, I want to love my wife that way. But I am desperately dependent on the Spirit of God to do it. What does it look like? Agape love. It's selfless. It's a willingness for the good of my wife. It is present tense, meaning keep on loving, keep on loving, keep on loving. It's a command. It's a decision we make. 
It is a choice we make. Listen, as I was preparing this this, uh, this week, I thought, you know what? I, I thought back to 21 years ago when I stood before Jennifer and entered into a covenant relationship, and I made some vows before her and before God. Maybe, maybe you can remember some of those vows you made me into your wife. I went back and pulled out the vows of a ceremony I conducted just a few weeks ago. It goes like this. I said to the man, do you take her to be your wife? Do you purpose to self-sacrificingly love her as Christ loved the church? Be her spiritual leader and protector. Do you promise to love and honor and trust and serve her in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, and be true and loyal to her and her alone? Watch this. So long as you both shall live. It's good for us, guys, to sometimes be reminded that was a covenant we made. And I want to say something to the men here. I believe there are many of you in this room that earnestly desire to fulfill that covenant. And love your wife as Christ loved the church. See, I don't even know what love looks like. And you understand we live in a culture that so distorts and twists lust. Love, we have a crazy view of it. Say, so where do I start? First Corinthians 13. Listen. First Corinthians 13, Lord, I don't even understand all his words. I know that love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, it is not proud, it does not demand its own way, it is not irritable, it does not keep a record of wrong suffered. Love means, hey, I know what you did to me last month, but I'm going to choose to not bring that up again. By the way, that's how God deals with your sin, by the way. God's not forgetful, God chooses to not bring it up again. Love means, yes, I was wrong. Maybe you did something wrong against me, but I'm not going to hold that out as a club against you. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. It's gone. Just read 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. God, empower me to love my wife like this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Ephesians 5, 25. So we've got the, got the teaching in 1 Corinthians 13. We've got the model and the way Jesus loves his church. So I can take a step back and I can read the Gospels or I can read the New Testament. And I can say, okay, how does Jesus love his bride? How does Christ love his church? Well, he, he leads his church well. It's not a picture of domineering. It's not a picture of a dictator. It's not despotic leadership, meaning you tuck behind me, woman, you do what I say. That's not the idea here at all. But it is the opposite, and this is going to sting, it is the opposite of passivity. One of the challenges of men in our culture is this idea of fearful passivity. I'm going to back away. I'm going to let the woman handle everything. I'm going to really let her lead. I'm going to go do my own thing. And sometimes it happens out of fear. I get it. Jesus leads well, and he sets an example, and he initiates. Listen, we don't do it perfectly. We mess up. So do you. But guys, you got to understand, your, your wife, your family, they may not say it. They're longing for you to be engaged. Leading as Christ leads you. Not for yourself, not your own agenda, as you're walking with God. Jesus provides for his church jesus protects his church we protect our wives that means if you guys are laying in bed about 2 a.m and you hear something downstairs you don't say hey honey go check it out i'm a little afraid 
protection is a lot more than that, by the way. You're standing guard over the purity of your home. The spiritual maturity of your home and the direction your home's going towards Christ's likeness. Guys, you understand, God's put a huge mantle on us. We can't do it, but he empowers us in Christ. Jesus nourishes his church, according to Ephesians chapter 5. Nourishment is the idea, am I concerned about my wife's overall well-being? Is she thriving? Is she prospering? Have I so led, am I so creating an environment in our home that my wife can prosper and she can thrive? Listen, I can't even say this without remembering the story I heard many, many years ago of a man named Bill McCartney. He was the head football coach of Colorado Buffaloes. They won the national title. The year after they won the national title, he says he went home to his wife, looked her in the eyes, went back and resigned his job. Why? Because when he got home, he looked into the face of his wife and he saw a dead face. Meaning, he had invested and he had put time and energy into a national championship football team. Nothing wrong with that. Praise God. I hope he can do it. But he had neglected the wife that God had given him. He said, I'm done. We cherish our wives, Ephesians 5 says. The idea of cherish is you value deeply. Listen, we know what it means to value something deeply. Listen, you go out here and you buy that new 2016 Ford F-150 and you bring that thing home, you're going to cherish it. Nobody touches it. Nobody gets around it. You keep it clean. You polish it. You shine it. You love it. Oh, I lo- We know what cherish means. Guys, Lord, help me to cherish my wife that way that she senses and knows and is surrounded by the reality that she is valued and treasured. In the home. So it's the idea of, okay, husbands lead that way. Love that way. And the order of the home is then a a wife recognizes, man, he loves, he leads, he walks with God. I want to honor that. I want to honor God. As unto the Lord. So, husbands. Verse 19, he goes on, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. In other words, the tendency sometimes is for us to be embittered against our wives. What does that mean? Irritated, harsh. Sometimes we replace this supernatural love with fault-finding, irritation. We have the mindset of our wife can't do anything right. If she would just, then I would. Marriage is not 50-50. It never has been. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I'll make a couple of application statements really quick, and then we're going to talk to the kids for a second. Based on this passage and based on the passage in Ephesians, I think you could say this, that one of the most disheartening environments for a man or a husband is one in which he senses no respect or honor from his wife. An environment that is demeaning, an environment that is harsh, an environment where, listen, ladies, you usually have a greater power with words than men do. You can tear your man apart with your words. An environment that never acknowledges his leadership, never shows any respect or honor to him. And I'll say this, and here's where it gets really practical. If a man does not sense honor in his home, he will gravitate to something or someone that he can feel respected. Ball field? Nothing wrong with the ball field. But listen, ladies, if your man's going there because that's the only place he gets honor and respect, there's a problem at home. 
workplace, anything wrong with working hard? Absolutely not. But if your husband's putting in 80 hours a week, it may be because his job's demanding, or it may be because somebody honors and respects him there. And I also say this, I believe there's an enemy who's alive and active and hates your home and wants to destroy your home. He will send another woman along that will make promises to your husband and make him feel honored and respected. Wives, respect, honor, be subject to your husband. Secondly, the most disheartening environment for a woman is if she feels uncherished, unprized, and can never seem to fulfill the expectations of her husband. She does not sense unconditional supernatural love, but has drifted over into an atmosphere of performance. If you, then I. She doesn't feel prized. She doesn't feel treasured. There's no intentionality. There's no effort. And listen, it's hard. It takes time. I get it. Here's what will happen. If that woman continues to dwell in that, she experiences no unconditional love. She's not prized. She will gravitate to something or someone that will prize her. The most common place that the woman will drift to is her kids. Meaning, parents, we're called to disciple and raise our kids, yes. But if the wife does not sense appreciation and love from the husband, she will begin to pour her entire life into the children to the point that the children become an idol. Because it is there that she senses someone appreciates and respects her. And in the same vein, just as the man, there is an enemy that's alive and well and will send some dude along that will say what needs to be said to your wife to flatter her. Immorality and adultery usually does not begin with physical attraction. It usually begins with flattery. Words are said Things are said to fill a void in the soul that is unmet by the husband or wife at home. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be subject to and honor those husbands God has given you. Tough stuff. Practical stuff. I know our time is almost up, so I'm going to do these last few verses somewhat quickly. You can see the way God has designed it, that the hub of all that is the relationship between husband and wife. Everything else flows out of that. So verse 20 says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Throughout Scripture, one of the simple commands that's given to, to children in the home, and by the way, one of the only commands that's given to children in the home is this. Hey, obey your parents. Honor your parents. See, your parents is that gift from God to provide this canopy of authority over your home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In Ephesians, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mom and dad. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now, there's a lot of different nuances to what that means, but there's an idea that it means this, that mom and dad in the home, as they walk with God, provide a canopy of protection and flourishing in the home that children are able to flourish under. Not oppressive, not exasperating, like he talks about in the next verse, where it's just taking the life out of the kid. It's so demanding, the kid can never meet up to expectation. Not passivity, where you're not involved at all, but this canopy of healthy protection, and the children live up under that canopy. But 
when the child steps out from that canopy and disobeys mom and dad, they are jumping over a protection mechanism for their safety and their flourishing, and they're coming out from under that canopy and exposing themselves to all kinds of dangers in the world that they should never have to be exposed to. God's designed it that way. Canopy of protection. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Listen, we have some young people in here. We have some college-age students that are still at home, still under the authority of your parents. You're trying to figure out God's will for your life. You're trying to figure out how it all works out, where I'm going, what I'm going to do. Listen, I do not believe you will be ever be able to clearly discern the will of God for your future until you start with the simple commands of honoring mom and dad. Honor mom and dad. Yeah, but my mom and dad are so out of touch. They don't know Twitter from Facebook. They can, I, okay. Okay. Honor mom and dad. Watch this. As unto the Lord. Meaning, your God is big enough to guide and direct your life for your well-being even, even through imperfect, flawed parents. See? As unto the Lord. Man. See, Paul is so practical here. Fathers, verse 21, do not exasperate your children so they'll lose heart. Parents, it's possible to exasperate your children through overprotection, favoritism, discouragement, unreasonable expectations. It's possible to exasperate your children through passivity and being unengaged. Where do you get that from? Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children can lose heart and be so exasperated because parents don't give them any rails to run on, any guidance in their life. They can be exasperated because they're so overbearing and so overprotective. So there's a balance here. Bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And listen, that's why I'll say I am so ecstatic to be at a church that is trying to take that very seriously to equip me and to equip you as parents on how to be the primary disciplers in the lives of your children. What we're doing and what we're trying to build through the family discipleship plan is a tool for you and for me as parents to not exasperate your children, but to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to give them a path, to give them direction, to have a resource kit that you can pull from. If you haven't looked at and gone into what is being built for you as parents, the family discipleship plan is an incredible tool that we are building together. So he talks to parents. Talks to kids. Now, really quickly, my time is up. Let me just quickly talk to the marketplace. Paul says this. Is it reasonable to expect Christ in you would change the way you perform a job? (laughs) Or the way you lead people at the workplace? Verse 22. Slaves in all things or employees in all things obey your masters who are on earth. Not with external service, not just eye service. As those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. To employees, obey those who are in authority over you, recognizing God has set up an establishment of authority in the workplace too. God has placed that boss in authority over you. In all things, obey those who are your masters, your bosses. Obey from the heart, heartily, meaning. 
Should the attitude of a believing employee be different from those that, who don't know Christ? Absolutely. I'm not just going to do my job. I'm going to, it means full soul. It means with all my soul. I'm going to do my job well. I'm going to do my job heartily because I'm doing it unto Christ. And I'm not just doing it for eye service, meaning, well, the boss is looking, so I'm going to try real hard. When he's not looking, I could care less. That is not what God is saying. Those who know Christ, it will spill out into the way we do our job. As unto the Lord, no matter the role, no matter who the earthly boss is, you say, well, yeah, but you don't know my boss. Yeah, I do. According to Colossians chapter 3, it says, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So your work and however you perform it on your job is ultimately a reflection of Christ, your true boss. He is the one you're serving ultimately. As unto the Lord. But he didn't pay me what I deserve. My compensation's pathetic. Well, Paul addresses that, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. God sees. God knows. God will make it up. You honor the lines of authority at your workplace and do your work heartily as unto the Lord and trust God. And then 4.1 speaks to bosses, and I'm done. It says, Masters, bosses, those in authority, be just and fair to your slaves, in our context, to your employees. Remember that you have a master in heaven. Meaning, the boss who knows Christ will honor and treat his employees with dignity and respect because he realizes his ultimate master is the Lord God to whom he will give an account one day. Does Christ living within us Make a difference in our daily lives. Christ in you and Christ in me changes everything. In the home, in the marketplace, and as Jesus said, we are salt and light sent out for his glory. I'm going to ask the team just to come up and begin to play for just a second. I want to ask you to do something this morning. We're not going to stand and sing. We're going to do something maybe just a little bit different. I want to give you an opportunity right there in your seat just to reflect and respond to what you've heard this morning. And I want to go about it this way. Let's all just kind of be honest with each other. Some of the stuff we've talked about just now is hard stuff. It doesn't come natural. So very clearly, for some of you in this room, step number one, where, where your next step of response is this. You know what? I have a form of godliness, but there's no power within. Meaning, man, I'm wearing the t-shirt and I'm going through all the motions, but there's no power there. I don't see any change. And it could mean you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, or it could mean Jesus Christ does not live within you. You've never repented. You've never believed in Christ and placed saving faith in Him and His finished work. You're just playing a game. If that's you this morning, your step is this. By faith, call out to Him, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And by faith, surrender to Him as your Lord, your Master, your Savior. 
For the rest of you this morning, incredibly challenging. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head for a minute. Just so you can kind of focus on what the Lord may be saying to you. Just, just in a moment right there in your seat. Wives. How does this look in your home? Does your home reflect, I'm living as unto the Lord? Husbands. Very simple. Are you loving your wife? And let me say it this way. Are you pursuing that? We never arrive at that. It's a pursuit. Kids, students, children. Man, you may be headed to the foreign mission field. You may be headed to a new college. You may be headed to an incredible job God has for you. And you're trying to figure everything out. Listen, are you obeying your parents? Are you honoring the gift of mom and dad? Does the fact that Jesus lives inside of you affect the way you get up and go to work on Monday morning? Would somebody be shocked if they found out you were a believer? Does it affect the way you lead that workplace, the way you make decisions, the way you treat your employees? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've been raised with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Jesus is changing us, and it will change everything around. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray over and for and with my brothers and sisters here. God, we want this to be true in us. We want to love. We want to honor. We want to respect. We want to submit. We want to lead well. We want to love well. Not out of some moral ambition, but because of Christ in us. I pray. You are transforming us through your word, through your spirit, that Christ is glorified. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace that makes it all possible. In Jesus' name we pray together.